Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin New, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Starstruck, a rom-com for the modern age, and Enlightened, a short-lived series about trying to do good in a world that's not necessarily made for that. Ooh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good that's that's a good way of summing it up oh thank you so much um, yeah excited are you a writer those. yeah do you write? I, I, I dabble a little bit you know my spare time still trying to make it big but <laughs> uh how are you helen what's up with you oh uh, i'm all right if, if i don't know if anybody can tell i'm a little bit croaky this morning because i went to karaoke last night hell yeah hell yeah she's back in the society that we live in <laughs> yeah no i um i was trying not to sing so much because i already have very very like baby vocal cords. i can't sing but i also have very sensitive vocal cords mm. so i was trying not to sing that much and then like we played bills 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 by destiny's child and you know it was like oh, it's wow. over you know yeah. that is what a bad. good song that's like were you inspired by basically it becoming viral again through tiktok really yeah oh well i guess it was a coincidence then but basically yeah somehow it's like making the rounds on tiktok in a really big way lately yeah it's i have no idea because like i just watched the tiktoks that people like crowdsource for me on instagram on their stories and stuff but i had no idea and i I remember like when the song started i was like oh my god i love a song that come that starts off like a story like it's storytelling Mm -hmm. like it's a fable basically like yeah that's such a thing amazing years pass not really i know so much anymore i know and it's just it it's such an evergreen like pathetic masculinity like get out of my face (laughs) oh it's so good yeah so you know i was screaming and now here we are so beautiful i can your voice sounds lovely as ever from where i'm standing Oh, now you're a sweetheart. Thank <laughs> you, love. I just feel now like I'm a two-time divorcee that's been smoking a pack a day, which is I like, think you can work, you know. It can. I mean, that sounds hot in its own way, you know. Mm-hmm. How about you? How, how's your week been? It's been pretty good. I took like a, a day off on Friday just just because. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's been a couple months since I've like taken a official day off or whatever and oh, fuck. I'm like seeing now what we're missing out on with... yeah like the lack of a four-day work week which iceland has put into practice and most of its working population and there's been more and more talk about it because there's studies about it some companies have been trying it even in the u.s and i'm just like i'm devastated that this is is not this is not the norm yeah Yeah, you need you need a day for rest you need a day for fun you need a day for like catching up on chores or like groceries housework whatever all the shit you have going on with that's that's like not work and yeah, that those are all necessary. You cannot cram them into two. It's impossible. It's impossible. But you know, the, my suggestion still stands. Like mm. we should all just move to Iceland. I think so too. More and yeah. more people in my mind are saying this, and probably in real life too. Like just just think of the list of countries that you think will just uh, take the longest to fry in this global warming oh, God. heat. Yeah, that's and another think, think about becoming a refugee. <laughs> okay, yet another point in Iceland's favor. Sweet. So now with all that free time that you've had, what kind of TV did you watch this week, Jen? So honestly, it's still a lot of Top Chef, but for the purposes of this podcast, I watched Starstruck on HBO Max. So this is a very short, I'm talking like six 22-minute episode, very short series that aired on BBC in April and is available stateside on HBO Max. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is written by comedian Rose Matfeo and Alice Nedden. It's directed by Karen Main. It's starring Matfeo and Nikesh Patel in the two lead roles. Uh, so there's Jessie, played by Matfeo. She is a New Zealander in her late 20s. Sort of a typical kind of millennial, I guess what we think of a millennial. Mm, mm-hmm. Sort of scrambling to make ends meet in London as a movie theater worker slash nanny. Um, she has a one night stand with this guy, Tom, played by Patel, who turns out to be like a kind of famous rising movie star. Mm. So if you think this premise sounds familiar, it's because it's literally the plot of a thousand like Wattpad fan fictions. Um, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is not a new idea by any means no but i think weirdly enough she manages to pull it off for Mm -hmm. a few different reasons and somehow created a rom-com that even i as a person who does not really watch rom-coms uh found kind of refreshing kind of kind Mm. of sweet to have in the background but yeah what what about you palin what was your initial read of this and uh, first of all have you watched it all I haven't watched all of it. I've watched two episodes, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely gonna like breeze through the rest. It's such a it's such an easy watch, yes. and mm-hmm. I think what you're saying about like it's the premise is very we've seen it all before, yeah. But because the delivery and the style of the delivery is like so easy and like down to earth, mm-hmm. it it makes it very very easy to watch and it's very entertaining. Yeah, um, I like it. I like it. Like I don't know what a Wattpad fan fiction is, <laughs> but I I have grown up on Turkish Dizzy, which is like our version of telenovelas, where it's like the poor girl gets with the very rich guy, yeah, or the very normal everyday girl next door type gets with the very famous guy, mm-hmm. and all the drama that ensues around it, yeah. you know, like that premise is just like a tale as old as time, of course, um, across every language, every culture, like K drama. There's a lot of this too. Other yep. other places, telenovelas, yeah. It's like it's everywhere. But I, you're exactly right. I think in that the how they execute it, it really makes the series. Um, yeah. and I think a large part of that has to do with Jessie as a character. Mm, like, yeah. she, from my opinion of her after the whole series, is like, I want to be this girl's friend. Like, yeah. she is super funny in not a fake haha way, but like kind of the way that your real life, kind of sarcastic, kind of witty. Um, yeah, like self deprecating. Yeah, self deprecating yeah. friend would be. She has some kind of like charm, like some magnetic pull. Like you can see why her friends are friends with her. Um, she's definitely flawed, but ultimately I think lovable and not annoying in the way that a lot of, uh, I guess the more typical stars of these kinds of telenovelas or romances or, or mm-hmm. fictions would be like where they're, I guess the term would be like a Mary Sue, although I don't know if the literary community is still using that, where the, the character is just like mm. so perfect um, and everywhere. Yeah. If she's not perfect, then her flaws are like uh, not actual flaws, but just like sort of things that they tape on to sort of try to make her appear more human. Like I'm thinking also of like Shadow and Bone, the heroine of that, <laughs> yeah. who is kind of um, in a lot of ways what I think of as not the like anti-ideal heroine um in just my personal opinion but yeah, yeah. The, the the problem the problem with that that arc that character archetype is that she's likable because she's nice mm-hmm. and she's not a bitch mm-hmm. right because being mean or being bitchy these are undesirable character yeah, traits those are in left hot for the girls. girls yeah yeah but like the downside is and this has always been my issue with these shows is that she's never smart 
Like there's not a shred of like intelligence about her. <laughs> She's always very proud, mm-hmm. you know, like she, she gets easily offended or she just like doesn't understand why someone would be so mean and she doesn't understand why people just won't let her live. Um, but she doesn't seem to have the intelligence to figure out like how to navigate these bitchy mothers-in-law, these bitchy sisters-in-law, or the bitchy friend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we see that. I mean, we'll we'll eventually at some point talk about Gossip Girl, but like mm-hmm. Zoya in the Gossip Girl, in the new Gossip Girl, is like very that. <laughs> you know, like she's the good person and the kind person, but like for some reason she just doesn't know how to navigate the thornier people around her. Mm-hmm. That's always been my like it's just hugely irritating to me because like i respect that in a female character yeah so i think that like what's cool about jesse in this is that she does have some semblance of intelligence you know despite it all yeah Yeah. and i think what you're saying about that the archetype is it's in part motivated by the fact that the creators the authors the showrunners whoever they want the audience on that hero inside and so Mm. way to do that Mm -hmm. is to paint it as kind of like her against you know the world against her rather like the bitches against her yeah and so yeah. yeah i think it's like a weak storytelling like issue on the creator's part but yeah mm-hmm. i think here it helps that like jesse is created by the person who plays her like the like matafeo is the, the creator the the writer the the actress here um and she kind of has a really good sense of her character and self and how to make her seem like a real person um, yeah. you're not like annoyingly, you're like, you're being pushed to root for her in one way or another, or, uh, yeah, she's just like, she comes off as very believable. And mm-hmm. I also like that, like, she is not drop dead gorgeous in a Hollywood sense, of course, yeah. which is not a new yeah. premise either, but here it works. She looks like a normal person, like a pretty normal person, I guess, especially because you see how, her looks seem to change with the effort that she puts in, in terms of like makeup and hair and the way she dresses, which is again, like a normal person. Um, you know, that is also believable with the level that it works with her relationship with Tom, the actor, like he is a handsome movie star, but they are not like so vastly like, uh, disparate in terms of like attractiveness, success, whatever, that it comes off as like totally artificial. Like, you can see why someone like Tom would actually be drawn to someone like Jesse because she is, yeah. again, very cheeky and funny and uh, has a sort of charisma in a certain way that even Tom, I think, kind of lacks. Exactly, yeah. Although there is, like, a funny joke, I think, the night after, you know, Jesse's One Night Stand where she's coming out of his apartment and there's paparazzi outside and they're like oh my god it's so good and they call it they're like oh guys it's okay it's just like the housekeeper yeah yeah it's just um, the cleaner yeah <laughs> yeah so that was that was pretty funny um so yeah her chemistry with tom is pretty good like the way that they banter together is also really good mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that was like a deliberate part of the the whole creation of the, this relationship of these characters like matafeo she said in a vulture interview she kind of pointed out how she deliberately wanted to write characters who were funny and specifically, you know, a woman in that relationship who is just like funnier than the guy, just flat out yeah. funnier than the guy. And yeah. he loves it. Like he's not competing with her. Like in real life, maybe there, there would be guys who'd be threatened by, you know, a sense of humor in a woman. But yeah, instead, Tom is just like super into it. He loves it. He loves laughing. I definitely think that they have chemistry. I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with it because I think. 
A, it's hard to do that. You know, we've talked about two hot people, uh, like yeah, this the, whole the weird crisis. idea that, yeah, like two hot people must have chem, And it's just like they simply don't. And like the fact that with these two much more regular looking people <laughs> that mm-hmm. they've had more chemistry that I've seen in a minute, I, it just proves the point, you know? Yeah. Do you think yeah. that has to do with like how they write the characters and their relationship and their chemistry or like more to do with how the actors like embody that and perform. I think it's a bit of both. Mm. I mean, you can write as much as you, you can write the most amazing dialogue with the most amazing, like fire chemistry that you could possibly have. If the, if the actors just don't know how to perform it, it doesn't fucking matter. So I think it ultimately rests on the, the actors and directors um, mm-hmm. because the director is ultimately the person that gives the sign off for the casting person to make sure that this person gets cast, right? Yeah. And it's their decision. They're, they're the ones that are also like directing these actors. Yeah. What they can sort of like coax out of them in their performance. Exactly. So it's like, well, I guess ultimately it's the director or ultimately it's like the showrunner, whoever yeah. it might be. So. That's fair. I also like how the show developed their relationship with each other. So it takes place over the course of a year. They sort of have, have like both chance encounters and deliberate, I guess, encounters again. Like they keep winding up in each other's orbit again, whether by coincidence or because they like actually do kind of want to see the other person. But for the whole year, like they never quite manage to be on the same page in terms of like timing or like articulating their the desire to be with the other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of drawn out, but not in a super like, again, kind of annoying pining sort of way. Like each of them still has their own lives going on. Like I like that Montefeo, Jesse as a character, she has her own friend cir- circle. She has her own like job. She has her own life to lead. Yeah. She's not stuck, like locked up in a room, just being like, Ugh, when am I going to see that like hot actor again? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So again, it's much more in the plane of, I think, some sort of believability. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about it. Like, I didn't realize until I started watching episode two that it's like, this is what is going to happen. Like, it's like months apart. Mm-hmm. It's genius because that's, I mean, not that, like, the thing is, like, part of the fantasy about, uh, like, premises like this where you sleep with or you get a guy that's, like, way, way out of your league mm-hmm. is that, A, you can't believe it's happened to you. B, it's a fluke. Mm-hmm. And see, you just, you don't know if it could ever go anywhere. Yeah. And the the fact that with this show, like, they just kind of have it drawn out over a year where every now and again it pops up, like, that is so much more believable. And then you can also put yourself in that position, right? Like, yeah. that's the reason why the, the whole fantasy of this is that you then put your, you are the like the character yeah. in the in the show is like the boilerplate for you right because yeah, you are like also the, the for the most part the average woman mm-hmm. exactly so like it's interesting that they do this because it makes it even more convincing in terms of like you subbing yourself out for her in terms of what would you do and it's more accurate because like i all if i was to sleep with like a famous guy i also would tr- would probably not wonder if we're gonna have a relationship I would yeah. also see it as a fluke. I would also see it as like a let me just uh, get away from the madness <laughs> of your life. Because yeah. yeah. I know how like fame and the fuckery behind the paparazzi, I know as a person that consumes it, I know how that works. And I just want no part in it. And the way that like Jesse navigates that is just very accurate. And that makes it even more like convincing to me. Yeah. She's yeah. not delusional. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is actually a lot to, it sounds like it's not a lot to ask for, but it kind of is in terms of these. It kind of is. Like stories. And it, yeah, and it's like a feat to do this with, with a premise like this, because the whole like selling nature of it is that it is a, it's trying to sell you a fantasy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's like somewhere in between that fantasy and real life is actually really smart. And I mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Yeah. And I think it maybe, it might say something more about, where the rom-com is right now where i feel like there is mm. kind of like a a new like a, a budding renaissance of the rom-com in this way like uh as matafeo she like points out in the vulture article she says maybe there there's like a new kind of rom-com beyond the very white heteronormative genre that we all know and love from like yeah. the 90s the the early aughts and stuff um and matafeo is she is half a uh, samoan by the way so I think others have pointed out, like, you know, there's Fleabag, obviously, there's High Fidelity, which R.I.P. that was also canceled too R.I.P. soon. Um, yeah. But just like these new forms of rom-com that they're either like refreshing, they they kind of take a different spin from what we're used to seeing. They're fo- maybe they're more focused on the interiority of the characters themselves and their problems. But yeah, there's like a new crop of, I guess, voices that are interested in exploring relationships, but having it yeah. go beyond the parameters that we've seen before. And I think this is kind of a perfect example of that, or something that really is kind of a model of how refreshing taking an entire trope from rom-coms can be and how you sort of put a new spin on it. Totally. Like for me, mm-hmm. I love rom-coms that deal, like the reason why Fleabag, for example, was so popular and the reason why something like When Harry Met Sally is my personal favorite rom-com of all time mm-hmm. is it's not shying away from the mess of falling in love and the way that yeah. it can be very complicated, actually, like both emotionally and the way that it might play out. And then yeah. sometimes you might not get what you want right away and it might be a fucking process. And that's just, I, I just think that that's like people, I think, want that now. I think everybody's kind of, I don't know, grown up from from thinking that it's A, love at first sight, B, like you just want this person and then the film ends with you two together and that's it. Yeah. Um. So it's nice to see shows like this as well that just kind of get into, like you, t- you take a common... Uh, like rom-com trope and you just kind of make it a little bit more adult and a little bit more like real life Mm -hmm. um so yeah you get the messiness the actual human feelings and complications but again not in the artificial way like in the way that you know maybe some of those classic rom-coms they introduce difficulties and hurdles because of screenwriting 101 but they were so tacked on and glued on that it's yeah it doesn't represent uh, i guess what real life is a little bit more like yeah, like a lot of these things, like they, they show up in the second half of Act 2 and then they resolve by Act 3. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not, like... That's not you're, how you're, you're, Yeah, like, that's not that's not how it yeah. works, mate. So we want yeah. fantasy delivered with actually a little bit of uh, complication and, and human realness. Yeah. Not a yeah. lot to ask for, but... Not a lot. Here we go, another entry in this field. And uh, I will note that there will be a second season of the show, which is exciting. Sick. Because, yes. yeah, I'm interested in seeing how they're going to go beyond everything, like, this initial, like, meet-cute and lead-up to a relationship. Slight, mm-hmm. slight spoiler alert, but there will be some sort of, like, happy ending here. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do once the two leads are actually in a relationship. 
So what about you, Pellin? Let's move on to your pick for this week. What did you watch? So I'm taking it back to the old school, mate. Um, <laughs> so I watched Enlightened on HBO Max. It's an HBO show, but it's now cancelled. It's only two seasons and it's now cancelled. But like the reason why, let me pull back and give you guys a bit of context. The reason why I started watching it is because there is a new show on HBO uh, called The White Lotus. And it's, I heard like loads of like critics talking about how excited they are because mm-hmm. it's written by this guy called Mike White. And I was just like, well, what's going on? <laughs> and then, um, and then I read somewhere that, you know, if you want to watch The White Lotus, you should just go back and watch his other show that was canceled called Enlightened. Mm. So uh, me being the dutiful reader of critics that I am. Uh, I did just that. And honestly, part of the reason why was because it was A, a female lead, and B, the female lead is Laura fucking Dern, bitch. Are yes, you kidding me? Yes, bearing the lead there, but yeah. yes, Laura Dern. <laughs> so this definitely flew way, way under my radar. Me, one year, like I was doing my master's at this time, like back in the day, really, really not watching yeah. that much TV. 2011, uh, right? 2011 is the first season. Yeah, and it's like half an hour. Like the the episodes are half an hour. Mike White is the creator. He's the director, and he also stars in this. Wait, he, no, wait. Who did he play? He plays Tommy, the uh, the no co worker. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I had no idea. I had no idea too because I've seen that guy before. You know, yeah, he's me like too. a that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so so Mike White actually wrote a bunch of other stuff, most notably School of Rock. But he wrote this role for Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this came out back in around 2011. It, for all those that need a little bit of TV context, this is around the time where Mad Men was in the swing of it. Breaking Bad was in the swing of it. These are both AMC shows. And I think HBO was feeling the pressure, I guess, because they were getting their like little prestige TV thrown, taken away from them. So... This was, like, amongst the critics, Enlightened was very well, like, people liked it. Critics loved it. Unfortunately, they cancelled it after two seasons because of poor ratings. Now, I don't know, we'll get into this, but we don't know how true that is because of the fact that it came out at a time where Prestige TV had to be very fucking good. So it makes sense why HBO might have cancelled it if it did dip a little bit. And it wasn't as successful as, you know, something like Mad Men or, um, or Breaking Bad. Anyway, so that's that's the context. What the show is about, Laura Dern plays Amy Jellico, who is a buyer at the health and beauty department of a corporation called Abaddon Industries. The pilot, like the first episode, the first 10 minutes, starts off with her having a nervous breakdown at work because... It's found out that she's been sleeping with her boss and she's being transferred over to the cleaning supplies department and health and beauty is her thing. And she's furious because, you know, obviously two people engaged in this affair and she's the only one that is like is being punished for it. And actually nowadays, like you would say, you do a little me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's the boss who would be. Yeah. He's a married boss who is sleeping with his subordinate. Yep. Yeah. So basically, if you love Laura Dern anyway, she's playing a version of all the things that you love about her. And the fact that that first 10 minutes is her just absolutely batshit with like mascara streaming down her face, running around and screaming. It's just, 
it's an incredible hook. Like just that first episode really grabs you in. What ends up happening after that nervous breakdown is that she goes to Hawaii for like a month long retreat. Like it's like a rehab center, basically. She comes back, you know, she looks great, but she's also like, uh, she's basically a woo-woo bitch. She's just like at peace and everybody has chakras and everyone's trying to align. And like, obviously they lay on thick. And the whole point is because it didn't really work. And the rest of the season kind of gets into how she ended up having that nervous breakdown and then also how she's trying to change for the better. But also there are parts about herself that she can't really get away from. Um, Because, and this is a spoiler, but you get to it pretty quickly in episode two, is they try to fire her. They're not successful. They give her a data entry, entry job. So she's like in the building, she's in the basement. And then also, like, as a career, after spending 15 years at this company, she is doing data entry, which is extremely beneath her professionally. And she tries to do good. She tries to change both the company and, I guess, herself and people around her for good. Unfortunately, she's a narcissist. She is, like, the perfect female (laughs) anti-hero, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I'm so happy I started watching this. Anyway, what did you think of it, Jenny? Like, I feel like... It was a bit of a random pick from me, but what what did you think of it? Yeah. First of all, I have a question, which is like, mm. by the end of season two, do things feel wrapped up or still like it's been abruptly canceled? I haven't gotten to season two yet. Okay. Yeah. I haven't gotten to se- I'm like trying to milk it because I really, really like it. And That's probably I know smart. that it's going to end soon. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know, but I do know that they were planning on having a season three. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay, that's going to make this sting a little bit. Um, Yeah, I know. I'm like, I have not been milking it. I really, I started watching it on Saturday, and I sped through, I think, eight episodes. Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. Because it's really fucking good. Yeah. It's like the writing and the conception of this character and the what she's up against is yeah. is incredible. I and add to the fact that you're telling me Mike White plays uh plays Tyler, uh it's kind of blowing my mind right now. But Oh yeah, it was Tyler. Sorry, I said Tommy earlier, but it's Tyler, yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's like it's a testament to like how well this is conceived where you have this main character who is as you said a narcissist, but who is also trying to do good. So in like any given episode, you can sort of as a viewer you're oscillating between really feeling for Amy, feeling empathy, feeling sympathy, mm-hmm. feel like feeling like her pain of tr- genuinely she seems to want to do good in some form. Um, yeah. But also the next moment around, you're like, oh, my God, this person is terrible. so annoying. She's terrible. Yeah. I would never want to be around her. Yeah. Um, and then somehow it swings <laughs> back again to like, oh, shit, I feel really bad for her now. Yeah. Uh, so it's and it's all of it's believable like it's mm-hmm. all atta- attached to the same person but not in like a totally wild out of character way this is all her and the emotions that she's provoking uh they're very real i think from the viewer so i'm finding yeah. that so fascinating because it's very rare that i think you get a character of this kind of complexity yes um, yep. but also some weird form of like both loathing and and sympathy and especially one who i think is uh, a woman yeah and this is what we talk about when we talk about anti-hero i I read some pieces that kind of compared her to hannah horvath in girls and i really i get i get it 
But at the same time, I don't because there's actually nothing likable about Hannah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I really, I really don't. I don't have any empathy for her. Whereas, like, I think for Amy, like, my hatred of her when I feel it is is fire hot. Yeah. But then the moments where, especially when you have you know Laura Dern's voice as Amy kind of talking and yes. reflecting oh that's such a good choice. I like there have been times where I've like come close to crying because it really it's really speaking to me right now in my life bro like yeah. <laughs> there's you know this need to want to be different this need to want to be a better person like we're all just trying to be better people for women especially like this woman she's a white woman and she's a very privileged white woman and she's you know, it's the whole like Karen archetype. She's just got that down to a T for sure. Cause that's like Laura Dern's like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's her thing. Yeah. But, you know, as women, I think we all are trying to, A, for some reason, since we were kids, by through our actions, we're trying to make the world a better place. And that might be like on a macro level or it might be like on a person to person level. And then also make the world better for us through work, through like having kids or whatever it might be. So to have those moments of reflection that she has, I don't know, it just speaks to like a very, like, it's the type of stuff that you bring up in therapy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very, very intense. And I would just, it that totally took me aback, man. Me too. Like, I really, really wasn't expecting it. Like, it had the feel of like weeds mm-hmm. you know nancy botwin i love I, who i also love she's also one of my favorite like female anti-heroes but like it just did i did not expect it to veer more into this like interiority of this anti-hero you know yeah it's very introspective um like especially as you said through the kind of voiceovers that mm-hmm. it's almost like uh you know amy as a character is is talking about this in therapy or is writing this in her journal or part of her meditation that it's a kind of device that i think could veer like very cheesy and phony but actually here it's pulled off really really well and it actually just shows you kind of what a fundamentally lonely person amy is how Mm -hmm. unhappy she is but how earnestly i think in in a lot of cases she is trying to change and trying to do good even if it seems like so much is stacked against those attempts and there are moments where you really question, like, you know, is she trying to do good because she really believes in that mission, that goodness, or because yeah. it is, you know, for her own sake, she's like scratching some sort of itch for her own narcissism, her own self Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really, so she, like, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's both. Uh, I think it's, I think, incredibly. I mean, that's because that, that's also true about everybody that tries yeah. to think about these things. You know, right. you want to be the person that cracks the code mm-hmm. of life, you know, about yourself. You want to be the person that's above it. You want to be the type of person that is like happy, like yeah. whatever the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, I mean, it's a show about existentialism, which is like fascinating to me because it's also about like, her place as a woman in this like capitalist society and like what that means which i don't know if they were like overtly trying to get into that but i think like just the nature of where she is and abaddon industries and like the role that they play and like who she ends up becoming as as like an antagonist towards this corporation it's just fascinating it's so so ahead of its time like i as i was watching it i was just like holy shit if this show came out like last year yeah, it would kill right now. It would kill, dude. Yeah, and especially, like, I mean, Laura Dern, these past couple of years, like, it has been, as people have called it, like, yeah, the yeah. Dernissance, and it's 
kind of a real shame that, you know, this, some of her best work, I think, of her career, it was 10 years ago. It was mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, flew under the radar. Like, it was not really appreciated by wider audiences. Yeah. Yeah, it just... Timing is so Timing strange. is everything. Yeah. Timing is everything. Yeah. And it, it, she she won a Golden Globe for this in 2012. So yeah. she, she she did get some kind of recognition. But yeah, it's it I can't imagine what that must be like for like Mike White and her to think about this show and to think about it right now. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad, but I'm also still very, very happy that this show exists. You know, like yeah. that, that it that it did reach two seasons, and now that people, you know, people are telling you to watch it, and like we are now talking about it. It's this is what excites me about doing this, and this is why why it excites yeah. me when people recommend these things to me because it's just like you know you think that these shows don't exist, and it just takes a little bit of research and it takes a little bit yeah. of recommendation to find out that actually they do. Yeah. And actually, they're really good. And actually, they might end up like changing your life for the better. Now, I don't. Wow. I don't want to say that this TV show is changing my life for the better, but it's definitely like <laughs> it it's makes definitely. You think. Yeah, it makes it, it totally does, man. Mm-hmm. Like this is exactly the show that I needed to watch right now. Yeah, I really love when shows they do get into sort of like the existential and they do tackle these larger questions. Like mm-hmm. in that way, it it almost reminds me of The Good Place a little bit. Yeah, but I think yeah. it was pulled off better uh here in enlightened like with mm-hmm. this the central character and all the facets of her personality of her existence of everything she that she's going up against no i mean all good tv shows are about the human condition right it's all about the way that we can relate to the hero or the anti-hero or like the characters in the show yeah and the fact that obviously the good place is a great example of of that existentialism seen on tv it's so with with this like you mentioned it's better because it's so stripped down Mm -hmm. but the crazy part is that it's not stripped down to the point where it feels repetitive or it does it's not stripped down to the point where it feels bare it's actually like it's just excellent writing like i just don't understand like with the with the narration i you know there's a part of me at the beginning that was just like is this gonna feel old by the time we reach like episode six and it just never does. Like, it just yeah. never does. Like, every time she, you know, like, listen, like, if you watch Grey's Anatomy, you know, Meredith Grey's voice also bookends those episodes too, but like, I'm barely listening. Whereas, like, with this, it is, I'm so tuned in and I really come away with it, like, kind of a little bit emotionally, like, fucked up from it, like, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Because it's about, like, how much empathy can we have for people? And, what does it mean to live a life? What does it mean to observe other people living their lives different to yours? And like, what does that say about you when you judge it? These are the questions that I ask myself all the fucking time, you know? Mm. And it's just, yeah, Laura Dern, despite all her, you know, comical ways of like showing her anger and, and you know, she's a great comedy actress for that. But the moments where she is very sad, and yeah. she is thinking about her life are honestly like my favorite parts because mm-hmm. she can act, babe. Yeah. She can fucking act, man. Yeah. And she has the range. She, ha- Clearly, she totally she has, has the range. all the range. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that she is getting, I mean, she's like in back in this renaissance. Yeah. I'm glad that the show at least exists, even yeah. if it's maybe the timing. 
could have been better, but who knows? You know, you don't know kind of what happens yeah. or when or how things would change if, you know, there's no... Uh, yeah. It's, no it's hypotheticals. All, it's all one big chemical reaction. You just don't know what happens once you pour a little bit too much of something in and mm-hmm. don't pour enough in. Yeah, check it out. It's only two seasons. It's half an hour long. I really, really, really love this show. It's actually turning out to be like one of my favorites of all time. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Like in the top 20 for sure. That's a strong endorsement. It's a strong, strong endorsement. This week in culture, we are just going to do a quick hit on the Emmys. So the list of nominees came out this past week, and they are a little underwhelming, I would say, but also in sort of looking at it deeper and talking about this, like you and I, Pellen, yeah, we're kind of like, I guess this is kind of expected. Yeah. Like, this is just how it's been. Um, yeah. So, no huge surprises there, but yeah, what stands out to you, like, when looking at this list of nominations? I mean, the the, the thing about the Emmys is that they, and I, I think, like, everybody forgets every year the types of nominations that, like, the all these different award shows do, so, like, every year it's, like, a reaction. Yeah, content, baby. Just content, you know? Um, so, the, with the Emmys, they usually, like, reward a lot of the, like, popcorn... Uh, wide audience favorites as well as some of the more prestige stuff that has been lauded by critics uh so this year you know i may destroy you got a couple of nominations michaela cole got a nomination for her acting the limited series category is obviously my favorite and it's actually it's got a lot of our favorites it's got a lot of stuff that we talked about throughout the year so shout out to them for actually getting a read on the limited series category with the other stuff like with outstanding drama outstanding comedy uh, I'm really happy that Pen15 got a nomination. It's also one of my favorites. Uh, the Outstanding Drama category is actually kind of like bad as far as I'm concerned. There's a lot of nominees in there that I think have no business being there. Um, give, a, give us some examples. Like Bridgerton shouldn't be there. I think This Is Us should not be there. <laughs> I think The Handmaid's oh, Still God, should not be there. This Is Us is still chugging. Still chugging along, you know? I mean, it. listen... My mother-in-law loves that show. A lot of a lot of people watch that show. I think it's like good for what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just drama. Se- I don't know. The the good thing about drama series, the boys did get a nomination, which I love. Like I love the boys. I don't know if it's drama. I think it's more comedy, which is like mm-hmm. uh, who fucking cares at this point. I think there's also like a weird category mix up here as well. I think the biggest chatter around this was a like some of the snubs, but b Lovecraft Country got loads of nominations. I think they got eighteen in total. Wow. Um, and this is a. I mean, it's cancelled by HBO. And what I found interesting with, I think loads of people were just like, well, I bet they're kicking themselves now. And I'm just like, I'm not sure if they are, dude. Mm -hmm. I think like a lot of these nominations are much like Pose, which is also canceled. I think a lot of them are just like, you know, like a, I'm glad you attended type of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. They're not good. Like, I don't think Pose is, I don't think Pose has been good for a while. Um, And I don't think Lovecraft Country was that good either. I mean, if we want to give these creators something to, you know, say that they have, like, again, like, these are all creators of color. And I think an Emmy nomination is very, very important for them to have in terms of, like, future projects. So hopefully Misha Green can create something with that. And hopefully this gives her something to, like, walk into 
those pitch meetings with a little bit more bass in her chest. But I don't think it means anything about like the reason why HBO can't. I think they were going to cancel it anyway. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't it matter. It does feel like a lot of these are sort of just like pat on the heads for basically what people were talking about. This yeah. Year. Like popular culture, uh, mainstream discourse or whatever, which yeah, I guess this is how it always goes. I like always forget because I don't really pay attention to the Emmys and it seems like people do have these same conversations every year. But yeah, yeah. 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 It's basically. Whatever is kind of like buzzy throughout the year, uh, yeah, whether or yeah. not, you know, critical reception was was good for those things. Uh, yeah, like last year it was Shit's Creek, you know, remember like all yeah. the, the shit ton of fucking, not even nominations, like wins that Shit's Creek got last year. Yeah. And it's like, is Shit's Creek that good? No, <laughs> like it's simply a comfort watch and i'm sorry but like a comfort watch is completely different to whether or not a tv series is good or not yeah so So, i mean a reminder that basically these like awards don't they don't matter they do matter in terms of like i don't know actually helping the creators or the people like the Mm -hmm. careers that people make them but in terms of like larger wider existential questions like uh i guess they don't really matter um Yeah, it's just like looking at all this stuff, Cobra Kai, Emily in Paris, Bridgerton. Yeah, for comedy uh, series. like <laughs> Yes, all these things. It's just like, we yeah. are really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, some of the things I am, I'm very, very happy for Matthew Reese for Perry Mason. I'm happy for Jonathan Majors. He got himself a lead actor nomination for Lovecraft. Mm. There are some snubs though, and I think the biggest one is The Good Lord Bird did not get a nomination for limited series. Oh. And yeah, yeah, and Ethan Hawke did not get a nomination for lead actor in a drama. I wonder if it's just like, it really is because people just have not been watching that as much like critical mass of people i guess but like i feel like there's like this ongoing beef with ethan hawk and like oh really like he just doesn't get nominated like that bro yeah and this time he like definitely he would have deserved that he put his Um, whole fucking back into that performance man like i don't i don't know why i don't know whatever yeah other he's got things, he's got my Emmy, you know? That that's what matters even more. That's that's um, the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Other things, like I there are a couple noms for the Underground Railroad, but mm-hmm. I think for the kind of show that it was, like still and like, you know, especially black critics, they have already pointed this out, uh, like on, on Twitter and everything already, but they've been like you know, it seems like people have been sleeping on this series in terms yeah. of Amazon Prime's promotion of it, um, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. they dumped everything all at once. Yeah. How much, like, general audiences are talking about this, etc. Like, there are no nominations to any of the cast who mm-hmm. really, just like Ethan Hawke, they, like, put their whole back into this. And yeah, I don't yeah. know, for a thing that was so expensive, I'm sure, so big budget, so yeah. many, like, like, Barry Jenkins, it's a big production. It is, I guess you could say it's timelier than ever, and it's yeah. really fucking good. Yeah. that That is, like, one of the biggest stumps to me. I wonder if it's. N- I, I wonder if there's just like this weird like ousting of di- like movie directors that are transitioning into TV and making shows like this. I wonder if it's just a matter of like principle that they're not because, I mean, for Small Axe right, which was also on Prime. You know, Steve McQueen himself said that these are five films. They're not TV shows. Like, it's not episodes. So maybe he was the one that was like, don't you dare send my fucking, don't send any of the Small Axe series to be available for consideration. Like, maybe he was the one that was like, no. But um, 
I wonder Barry with Barry Jenkins. Jenkins. What, he did get a directing nom for a limited series. Yeah. Yeah. But in yeah, terms I, of, like, I, I, the, the actors are... Like, yeah, I, and that's the thing. I don't know whether it's like, we'll give you like one little thing, but... Have to have a nod to it. But. Ha- yeah, but like, we're not going to like turn this into like a practice where we where we reward this because then we don't want all these film directors coming in and like doing like limited TV series. I don't know. The, I think... In terms of like what the Emmys are rewarding now, especially, uh, there's, there's a lot of nomination for, for a lot of the Disney shows, man. And that's like, is that like going to set a precedent? Yeah. So WandaVision got a lot of nominations. I'm curious. I'm curious to see like what that means for everybody else, like all the other networks and the Shit, types of shows yeah, that they. So many nominations. So many. So, and it, like, it wasn't that good. It's just weird. I don't know what it means. I don't know whether it's like, it doesn't mean anything. Because this is Disney's bag, and like nobody else has this IP. First of all, and secondly, like it, I don't think anybody can create like a hero show, and with a million spinoffs. Like at this yeah. point, they're just too far ahead in their game. Yeah, I feel very so I cynical know. about all that. It's just, it's just weird that they're taking the spot of like other people. I think yeah. that's the thing that makes me feel weird. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I guess we. We will keep an eye on this this race, the results. Yeah. But yeah, and Emmys as blah as ever, I guess. Blah as ever. Like, they, it gives something to the people, it gives something to the critics. It seems to be, like, an ongoing thing. But whatever, you know, award shows. Who <laughs> like, cares? Who cares? <laughs> um, great. I guess that's us for this week. If you think we should check anything out that we haven't talked about already, let us know as always email us at criticismisdead at gmail.com find us on twitter or instagram uh, you can also check out our Substack, criticismisdead.substack.com for bonus links and recaps of these episodes uh otherwise thank you so much please rate review uh maybe tell friends uh just send us all your love and we will see you next week see you guys next week Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin-Liu and Jenny Jijong. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.